Well, hello again, Hope family. Today is a great day to be grateful. So, let's thank God for his new mercies and another chance at following him. We'll continue our look at A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, and specifically his chapter on the justice of God. He begins that chapter by saying, In the inspired scriptures, justice and righteousness are scarcely to be distinguished from each other. The same word in the original becomes in English either justice or righteousness, almost, one would suspect, at the whim of the translator. This makes for a fun Bible reading game, so whenever you come across one of the words, read it again, substituting it with the other. And for us, in today's world, justice is quite a buzzword. I think everyone is heightened to both real and perceived acts of injustice to them, to their group, or to others. There's a deep hunger in Americans for justice. And I've got to say, that's awesome. Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be filled. For those who hunger for true justice, we need look only toward the judge of all the earth. Through the Psalms, we see David and other psalmists experience injustice and then turn their eyes to God. Psalm 94, 1-3 says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Tozer notes that this isn't to be understood as a plea for personal vengeance, but as a longing to see moral equity prevail in human society. This is one way that I believe we tend to get justice wrong as humans and therefore fail to satiate our deep hunger. When we desire personal vengeance or even seek justice by our own means, instead of satisfying our hunger for justice, we just end up creating more hunger in the world. As James writes, the anger of man does not produce the justice of God. It is tricky business to seek justice, especially for a personal affront, without crossing some sort of line into vengeance or revenge or anger. This is why I believe Jesus said that you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the evil one. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was intended to stop escalating violence, but it inevitably failed to do so, and it certainly didn't curtail the desire for more punishment. We have seen, we have all seen on personal and even national fronts how an eye for an eye fails to actually bring about justice. Instead, it feeds our anger and gives Satan a foothold. I grew up with three brothers, so it wouldn't have taken long for the entire house, with the possible exception of my mom, to be eyeless and toothless if we incorporated this specific mindset. If my brother took something from me, I'd punch him and I'd take it back. Then he'd punch me twice, and now we're fighting not over who gets to hold the thing, but we're just fighting with each other. There's a natural instinct in all of us to respond, not just in kind, but with a degree or two higher. An eye for an eye sought to curtail that, but Jesus took it a step further. The goal isn't to respond only in like manner without raising the stakes, but not to respond in kind at all. Instead, Jesus challenges us to subvert injustice by responding in tender mercy. And I believe this is what we see in God, the judge of all creation. In Jesus, we see God not responding to sin in kind, but instead submitting himself to it and becoming its greatest victim. But in doing so, sin is defeated. This is the example given to us. We are to be just 
as God is just. Those of us with more of a mean streak might be tempted to point to Old Testament passages of fire coming down from heaven, or even in the New Testament to Jesus flipping over tables, or even Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead in the book of Acts as a justification for the type of justice that we want to see. But the facts are that overwhelming evidence in both the Old and New Testament point to a God who is long in patience, slow to anger. And as humans prone to get things wrong, prone to justify anger by putting the word righteous before it, perhaps we should be careful not to impose our view of justice on God, but instead heed the words of Paul, who says in Romans 12, 18 to 20, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Author Dan White, in his book Love Over Fear, gives some commentary to this verse that we often hear, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head, and we think, oh great, I'll give you something to drink, that way you feel like a jerk for what you did to me. But that's not what the author is getting at here. Think back to Isaiah, the beginning of Isaiah, where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, and he says, Whoa, who am I, a man of unclean lips? And an angel comes forth with a burning coal and places it on his lips and symbolically purifies him. That this burning coal is used not to punish him, but to purify him. And so by loving our enemies, it's not that we're like, ha, I got you, showed you. But instead, our mercy is an instrument that, yes, it may hurt them because it will spotlight their injustice, but our mercy will be used to purify them. And so instead of trying to impose our view of justice on God, perhaps we should allow God to do what is truly just to both us and our would-be enemies while we pursue mercy, while we pursue to live peaceably with all while we pursue to overcome evil by doing what is good.